0: Locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. It's the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for Case 114, The Francis House. This is a different case for us, a more sensitive one that touched us all to tears. Even our stoic low got a little emotional. The Francis House is a private residence, so we won't release the address. Instead, we will just say that this investigation took place in a small suburb outside of Topeka. We received the following voicemail from Rachel Francis. Um, hi, my name is Rachel Francis. I live with my daughter, Allie. She's 12 in (laughs) campus. Um, I could, oh, we could really use your help. My husband passed away last month, and since then we've had some weird, weird stuff going on in the house. We're haunted, or maybe she's haunted. I don't know if it's William or something else is here, since Allie, oh, can can you help? Please, my number is 913. Thanks. We were headed to Kansas. We found the Francis home in a sleepy middle-class neighborhood outside of Topeka. This neighborhood isn't one with cookie-cutter homes that all look the same and mandated by an HOA controlling what shade of gray your exterior can be. The Francis house is white with black trim and shutters. There are planter boxes at each of the three front windows, popping with purple and yellow pansies. A mat at the front door reads, I hope you brought wine. We didn't bring wine. Inside is an open floor plan with three bedrooms and two baths. The garage is now almost completely empty, but Rachel parks outside. Team update. You guys, I cried. Ugly cried. Leave Britney alone cried style. For a solid 15 minutes after listening to Rachel's voicemail. To say I was triggered would be the understatement of the decade. Allie is 12. One year younger than I was when my father died of brain cancer. I have been that little girl. More often than I care to admit, I'm still that little girl. Father-daughter dances at weddings I hide in the bathroom. A grown woman hiding, fingers in her ears, humming. Father's Day feels like everyone else is part of a club that I don't get to be a part of anymore. The day of his death, I call it my dark day, and I don't even recognize myself. This case forced me to get face-to-face with my younger self, both internally and in the eyes of Allie. Selfishly, I thought about deleting the voicemail and moving on to another case, but my dad didn't fight so that I could be a coward. I reached out to Claire, and she handled responding to Rachel and coordinating the investigation details. Prue did some general research on the land and area around the Francis home. No indigenous people burial ground, pet cemeteries, battlefields, or anything that may cause a hotbed of paranormal activity. The town's claim to fame is their annual Apple Fritter Festival, where they crown Little Miss Appleseed and the Apple Queen. Claire connected with Rachel to learn more about the family. Rachel and her husband William were married 15 years before his untimely death. They bought the family home a year before Allie was born. Rachel runs a successful online lifestyle and recipe website, getting thousands of views on her recipe videos, most notably her award-winning apple fritter pie. I checked out the recipe. It looks amazing. William owned and operated a plumbing company with his brother Michael. Six weeks ago, William texted Allie and Rachel to let them know he was working late on a leaky shower and to not wait on him for dinner. William never made it home. Ten miles from home, in his company van, William suffered a massive heart attack, losing control of his vehicle and wrecking into a cornfield. Several witnesses stopped to help William, who was rushed to a local hospital. A responding officer went straight to the Francis residence after leaving the scene to notify the family. William died en route to the hospital. He was 42 years old. When we got there, the house was inviting. I wish we had brought the wine referenced by the doormat because Rachel had lemon bars waiting for us. Allie was quiet, her blonde hair up in a top knot. She bustled around the kitchen making us cherry limeades that quickly made me forget about the wine. After the best lemon bars I've ever had and three cherry limeades, Rachel took us to the garage. This was William's workshop. He loved creating and tinkering in his version of a man cave. The space was once full with tools, power saws, drills, various paints and stains, thinners, different woods for projects. It sounded like he had just about everything a guy's guy could possibly want in a workshop. But now, it was empty. The only tool on the workbench against a wall was a pink hammer and a plus screwdriver. For those of you that didn't grow up in my house, that would be a Phillips screwdriver. I had to Google it. The space was completely empty, except for a few boxes with Goodwill and Michael scrawled on the side with black Sharpie. The items in William's shop were donated to Habitat for Humanity or given to Michael. That hammer and screwdriver were all that remained. Apparently, the empty garage came to life at night. The first night it happened, Rachel thought Michael had come over, unable to sleep, to wrap up some home repair projects. She heard power tools buzzing and the sound of a hammer striking a nail. The sound continued as she made her way through the house, through the kitchen, and turning the handle to the garage, everything stopped. The garage was empty. No Michael. No tools to explain the sound. She was the only one awake in the house. She texted Michael, who didn't respond until the next day, saying he'd been asleep and definitely not at her house. A couple of nights later, Allie awoke to the sound of the big table saw in the garage buzzing with the sound of cutting wood. She explained that for a second, still fuzzy with sleep, she wondered why her dad was working on her bookshelf in the middle of the night. It was then that she remembered fully that her dad wouldn't ever finish the bookshelf and that the table saw hadn't been in the garage workshop for weeks. As she made her way to the garage, turning on the light in the kitchen, the buzzing saw noise abruptly stopped. The workshop noise of tools and productivity is now a regular nightly occurrence at the Francis house. Leaving the garage, we made our way to Allie's bedroom, painted pink with gold foil circles dotted along one wall. Clear twinkle lights hang like a canopy over her bed, and gray, gold, and pink throw pillows pile on her bed. Against one wall is a gold-painted bookshelf, about chair-molding height, crammed with books. Books were stacked all helter-skelter next to the bookshelf, on top of the bookshelf, falling off the bookshelf. That's why she needed another bookshelf. Allie's bed is placed in a way that while you sit on it, you can look out the bedroom door down the hallway. On the day of her father's funeral, Allie was lying sleepless on her bed, tossing and turning. She remembers looking out into the hallway and seeing a shadow on the wall. She sat up, proving to herself that she wasn't dreaming, and watched a tall shadow with distinguishable arms, legs, body, and head walk down the hall towards her room, pausing in her doorway. Then it walked back down the hall out of her line of sight, then back towards her, pausing again in the door. Back and forth, back and forth. She screamed for her mom, convinced somebody had broken into the house, and she was seeing the shadow of them creeping around. There was no one else in the house. Lights out, Rachel sat on Allie's bed, watching out the door. The shadow was gone. The next night, Allie woke up around 2 a.m. sitting up to get a drink when the movement caught her eye. The shadow man was pacing the hallways in front of her room again. She called for her mother. There was no one else in the house. In fact, they realized that the way the shadow was seen, there wasn't a light source that could be blocked to cause a shadow on that wall. It didn't make any sense. Rachel worried that the stress of losing her father was impacting Allie more than she thought. On the third night, Rachel laid with Allie and the two fell asleep watching Gilmore Girls. Rachel woke up, checked her phone. It was 2.27. She clicked the TV off, sitting up considering heading back to her room to sleep when she saw it. A shadow moving in the hall, but this time, it paused in the doorway, standing still for several moments like it was watching her. Next to her, Allie whispered, I told you he was there. Who? Allie asked. Daddy. Allie sees this shadowy figure several nights a week in the hall outside of her room. By all accounts, things seem to point directly towards William wanting to stay close to his family in the afterlife. Until Rachel pressed her daughter to tell us about, I'm using air quotes, that night with Peyton, nothing ever starts out good with air quotes. Allie explained. I just wanted to talk to him and like have him respond, Allie said. It wasn't even like a big deal, she said. Peyton used it like a million times and nothing bad ever happened, she continued. I looked at Claire, color drained from her face and Lowe shook her head at Ford. Please tell me you didn't use a... Oh, she did, Rachel interrupted. Allie had wrangled her friend into using the one thing people should never use, a Ouija board. Let me pause here for just a moment for a public service announcement brought to you by Brooke. I'm sure you've heard this before, and I'm sure you'll hear it again, but if you have or haven't, listen really, really good. Don't use a freaking Ouija board. Ever, never, nope, don't use them. Don't have them in your house. It's not a fun sleepover game like when we were kids and we'd watch the craft and play light as a feather, stiff as a board. It's not a game. It's not a game. You never know who or what you're communicating with impossibly releasing into our side of the veil when you tinker with that board. I get that it sounds fun. You want to see if it really works. Or like Allie, you just want to talk to your loved one one more time. Don't. Those spirit boards are dangerous. All right, stepping off my soapbox now, back to Allie. After Rachel went to bed, Allie and Peyton snuck out into the garage. They set up candles and both recited a spell of sorts that Peyton had found on the internet. They poured some salt on the planchette, dripping three drops of candle wax on the salt before beginning their communication. I've heard of this ritual before, the spell and the offerings. Absolutely don't do this. Don't even Google it to see what it's about. At first, little happened. Then the planchette spelled out W-I-L-L-I-A-M. He was there. Allie was so excited, telling her dad she loved him, and the planchette spelled L-O-V-E-U back to her. This encounter continued, until the candles on one side of the board went out. Allie explained that about this time, both girls began smelling what they described as really hot trash. The planchette stopped moving. Allie asked if her dad was still there. The planchette moved to no and then spelled A-N-D-R-A-S. Scared, the girls started putting the board away. Setting the planchette on top, both girls saw a red substance pool on top of the planchette. Blood? Goo? I'm not sure what it was, and neither do they. They put the lid on the box, placing it in a drawer of the workbench. I text Prue to look into the name that the planchette had spelled. Since the Ouija board experience, Allie has had strong mood swings that she claims she can't control. According to Rachel, Allie was never angry before, but now will go from zero to furious at the drop of a hat. She isn't sure if it's emotions as Allie works through losing her father or if there's something else at play. Let's run down the haunted happenings at the Francis house. The family has reported the powerful scent of cedar that comes and goes without any explained source the smell of rotten eggs, the sound of a four-legged animal running through the house, the Francis's don't have a dog, cold spots in Allie's room and in the hallway leading to the bedrooms, lights will turn out without explanation, doors slam, there's the hooting of an owl that seems to come from the walls, and growls. Again, no dogs on the property. Crew sent me an email with some notes on the name that the planchette board spelled. You'll notice I'm kind of resisting saying the name. Looks like Peyton and Allie were chatting with a demon, which is why you do not mess with spirit boards, my friends. This demon, this demon, we've spelled his name before, but we aren't going to speak it for additional safety reasons. Appears in the form of a winged man with the head of an owl. Owl like maybe what's causing the hooting walls. The demon is also known to ride a black wolf, which makes me wonder if that could be the running animal that the family is hearing. This investigation got more and more serious as the day went on. This demon likes to create subtle discourse when it surfaces. Even going as far as helping create ideas of how to use anger to commit murder. A murder creating owl demon on a black hell wolf. Awesome. It was a perfect storm. Strong emotions and trauma like this are an ideal feeding ground for a negative entity or being. Then, by using the Ouija board, then by using the Ouija board, the girls gave an all-access pass to the Francis home for all of that negativity. Setup took place on Saturday late afternoon with myself, Claire, Lowe, and Ford. Lark had a sorority BMOC philanthropy event, and Prue was hosting a baby shower for her sister-in-law, so they set this investigation out. With a smaller location, foreign investigators on deck was plenty. Rachel and Allie left the home after setup to stay the evening with Rachel's sister. HQ was in the third bedroom that the family used as an office. Lowe set up video monitoring in HQ as well as two stationary cameras in the home, one shooting down the hall where the shadow figure was seen, the one in the garage workshop area. Lowe only set up one full research pack with us investigating a smaller area. Fewer resources were needed. We did, however, add a few extra pieces to this investigation. We didn't want to run the risk of cross-contaminating each other's evidence. Our research pack supplies included K2 EMF meter, SB11 spirit box, digital voice recorder, digital camera, full spectrum video camera, band-aids, protein bars, four cross necklaces, holy water, thank you First Methodist Church, four black tourmaline crystals, four fluorite crystals, four starlight crystals, basically a pocket full of crystals for all of us. Lowe stuck to HQ monitoring the two cameras. Claire, Ford, and I decided to explore the house together as a single team. These are our experiences. We were all together for this. Very quickly, I noticed what smelled like old hot trash. Like what I imagine it would smell like if you left eggs and meat in a bucket on a Midwestern summer day. It was such a thick smell, I felt like I could choke on it. Ford and Claire experienced the same smell too. Ford was sitting in the dining room conducting an EBP session when she noticed a commotion. She shushed us all and we listened to the sound of tools going to work coming from the direction of the kitchen and likely the garage. Ford captured this on her digital recorder. Give it a listen. Did you hear the power tools? We checked the garage, and it was empty. The sound stopped before we made it through the kitchen. Alone in the living room, Claire felt suddenly queasy and noted that the air felt heavy. She pulled out a bottle of holy water and dabbed some on her wrist and neck. Before she could even put the lid to the holy water back on and in her pocket, she felt a burning sensation on her back. Lifting her shirt, we found three scratches. You can visit our case file on Instagram or Facebook, at Sleepless Suburbia Pod, to check out this picture and additional evidence. An EVP session in the garage captured this unsettling sound. Growling. Again, the family doesn't have pets. Could it be what's coming and going through the Ouija board? I was recording video as Ford walked into the master bathroom. The double door slammed shut behind us. We couldn't recreate this, and Low and Claire were in HQ. You can watch the video in this week's case file on Instagram or Facebook. Walking to the bathroom, Low walked through a cold spot in the hallway by Allie's room. This one area of chilly air registered seven degrees cooler than the rest of the hallway. Sitting in the office watching the monitors, Low heard a growling sound that she could not explain. It felt to me that there were two different things at play in the Francis house. One felt warm and calming, giving me that dad vibe. The other felt uneasy and made my stomach not up. The entire investigation was coastering between feeling safe and feeling dangerous. Ford caught this EVP sitting on Allie's bed. Give it a listen and tell us what you hear. Could this be William letting his daughter know he's watching over her? Here's a wrap up. Rachel said that Allie out of the house was her normal, easygoing self. The lash-out mood swings disappeared. We recommended the Francis women stay another night with Rachel's sister, and we'd handle some housekeeping items at the house to make it safe for them to return. Rachel wanted, if at all possible, to kick out what was ever coming through the spirit board, demon, while keeping her husband's spirit in the home if that's where he wanted to be. We handled the Ouija board for the Francises. After swinging by Lowe's for a shovel and First Methodist Church for a holy water, we went to a remote area, digging two holes, placing the board and the planchette in their own separate holes. We doused both items with holy water, filled in the holes, drenched the soil with holy water. We then reached out to a professional to perform a cleansing and blessing on the house, advising them to take special care of what we believe is the spirit of William. A spiritual teacher will check the Francis house in the following days to make sure nothing negative or harmful remains. Last night, I received an email from Rachel. The gross smells are gone, and Allie's moodiness matches up with that of a teenager, not a budding murderer fueled by an owl demon. She celebrated her 13th birthday over the weekend. The shadow figure is still strolling up and down the hallway, and about once a week they hear phantom tools working in the garage. There hasn't been a sense of negative energy in the house, so we are comfortable closing case 114. Make sure you head over to Facebook or Instagram at sleepless suburbia pod for investigation and behind the scene photos. Facebook and Instagram are also great ways to stay in the know for everything happening with sleepless in suburbia. We will be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. If you enjoy our cases, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. This is a huge help for us and make sure to subscribe so you get our new case each week. Until next week, take care guys.